0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. Well, the message today fits very much in with what we were just talking about about how the gift of faith, the gift that precedes faith, what we believe in, Jesus son as our lord and savior, all those true are truly free things to us. We do nothing to earn our salvation. We did nothing to earn God's love that caused him to send Jesus. Uh, For us so that so that he could be that great Christmas present for us. That being said, we all know that once we begin to walk with Christ, it can sometimes be flat out tiring. In fact, you might even say it can be exhausting. Think about some of the words in the Bible that are that are used, for example, to describe the Christian walk. What does Paul say? He says, I have Run the race. How many of you have ever run a, a 400 or 800 meter race? How do you feel at the end of 400, 800 meters? Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I wrestled in college a little bit. I can tell you that I was never, ever more exhausted than the feeling I would have at the end of a wrestling match, just flat-out tired. And Paul says, I fought the good fight. And and when he says those things, he's really saying that the walk of a Christ follower, while while filled with joy and filled with comfort and filled with strength, at times it can feel like it's flat-out exhausting. We're going to hear the Apostle Paul say in our reading this morning, what a wretched man I am. Because I'm constantly fighting and I'm constantly struggling. And what he's talking about this morning is I'm constantly struggling with myself. I'm an anchor on my own Christian walk. I'm dragging myself around all the time. And so I want to talk about that this morning a little bit on the basis of Romans chapter 7. You can pull out your crosswalk notes. They're in the middle of your bulletin folder. They're a white half sheet. And then open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. We're asking the question this morning, why don't I do what I know I should? Why is it that the things that I as a believer want to do, I end up not doing them? At least not the way I want to. And then the things that I want to avoid, I keep on doing those things. Why is that? It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? And Paul talks about that, Romans 7. And we're going to start reading at verse 14. Paul writes, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. You know, it's interesting to look at some of the, um, the famous struggles in history take um gettysburg for example and out of those those struggles like like um the the gettysburg address that that lincoln uh addresses his people during the time of the civil war some amazing quotes for example abraham lincoln said in the midst of all that now we are engaged in a great struggle testing whether that nation or any nation conceived in liberty and so dedicated can long endure. Or well, you take uh, World War II, some of the things that Winston Churchill said, I'll, I'll bring one of them up a little bit later in the message. Struggles are amazing times, aren't they? And as you hear Paul's words in Romans chapter 7, you can't help but think, of those words of, of Lincoln or, or some of the words that are spoken by Churchill of this great struggle that each and every one of us is engaged in, even internally. And it almost seems like, as you, as you read some of these words, that Paul is talking about uh, being two personalities. He's, he's on the one hand, he's got, he's got this person inside of him that wants to do the right thing the person that wants to please God and follow God wherever God might lead and to go on this great living adventure with Jesus. But on the other hand, there's another part of the Apostle Paul that says, I don't feel like doing what God wants me to do. And he's very, he's very real about that part of himself. You, you've seen this in the, in the cartoons depicted by the angel on one shoulder, the devil on another shoulder. We're constantly, Paul says, engaged in this amazing struggle within ourselves. In fact, he summarizes it so beautiful, beautifully at the end of this. Verse 25, the very last verse, after he's gone through all of that, he says, So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. How many of you feel that? I know that I, I constantly experience that struggle and it's it's interesting isn't it that this is paul the apostle talking as a believer many times we think well once we're a believer we're going to leave the struggles behind life is going to get much better things are going to be filled with strength and comfort and it's true on a very deep level we always do have that hope we'll come we'll circle back to that but how important it is if we're going to walk the Christian walk, to be real, to, to face the brutal facts of, of what the walk with Christ can sometimes mean. And, and I, I really feel that sometimes when believers step into faith, and I'm, I'm speaking especially to those of you who might be newer believers right now, Some of you may be stepping into faith for the first time or or you've only been a Christ follower for a few months and you're saying to yourself, wow, this is going to be so much better. I want you to understand that it is going to be so much better, but at the same time, you have entered a field of battle. And there are going to be times when you're going to struggle against Satan and sin and what Paul refers to is that part of himself that doesn't want to do what God wants him to do, what the Bible calls your sinful flesh. You're going to struggle against that, and it's going to feel tiring. In fact, it's going to feel exhausting, like being in a wrestling match or, a, or an 800-meter race at times. You're going to feel out of breath spiritually. You're going to feel like your muscles are tired and worn down, and you're just going to go, you know what? It's too much. See, one of the most important things for us about being real is that when we're not real, when we let our expectations get higher about the Christian life than they really ought to be, that's when people give up. And one of the most important things for us as Christ followers is to understand never, ever, ever give up. As tiring as the struggle to live with Christ is going to sometimes be, as much as it is, and this is, this is your first fill-in, fill in. as much as it is a constant wrestling match, internally, inside your own heart, inside your own mind, don't give up. And part of not giving up is just to be real, as Paul is real. An apostle, not just a believer, a guy who is entrusted by God with the Holy Spirit to actually record many of the books in the New Testament is saying, look, I struggle. The good things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the evil things that I, that I wish I could stop doing, those I keep on doing. And, and this, by the way, is not just found in Romans chapter 7. This truth is throughout the Bible. It's contained in Old Testament stories. You, you can see these great men of God. Men like Noah. Think, think of Noah, right? Righteous man. So righteous that, that he, he was the one selected to be on the ark with his family. And yet when, it, when he gets off the ark, there's a story about Noah becoming stone-cold drunk. That internal struggle, David, a man after God's own heart. Yet there's also stories in the Bible that that tell us things like he didn't have enough faith in God to stop counting his military men. And he was tempted by a beautiful young woman to commit adultery. That internal struggle constantly going on. We see it in 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 the disciples, Peter, right? In one moment, Jesus, I mean, literally within moments of each other, Jesus is saying, I'm going to call you Peter because you are a rock. And then the next moment, he's turning around and and saying, Peter, you are Satan right now. Get behind me. There's that struggle. And I put a passage in, another passage from from the Apostle Paul. And this, well, first of all, let's, let's look at this psalm passage, because I want to I talk about it for a minute before we go to that Paul passage. I want to talk about when that struggle begins. That Psalm 36 passage is really useful to help us understand, because that psalm passage is talking about a person who doesn't yet know God. And notice what it says about him. The person who doesn't yet know God doesn't experience this struggle. Because they don't yet have that new man in them. We're born with the sinful nature as we, as we talked about during baptism. But look at what that psalm says. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. You ever wonder why sometimes the unbeliever can, can walk through life and, and seemingly be okay? Okay. There's your explanation right there. A lot of it is simply self-deception, what the psalmist calls self-flattery. He flatters himself too much to detect his own sin. He's walking through life. Maybe it's not even intentional. Maybe it's just the fact that not having read God's word, that person does not yet fully understand what God is asking of him. And so he really can't help but flatter himself. Because he doesn't know what God's expectations... You know the expectations of the world and God's expectations don't always line up with each other. Just take the simple thought that Jesus says, You know what? If you hate a man, you've already murdered him. Most people in the world, not knowing what Christ considers to be sin, would say... Those are two completely different issues, right? For me to just think some hateful thoughts but do nothing about it? Why, who doesn't do that? Who would call that sin? I haven't lifted up a knife or pulled out a gun on the guy. I've only thought a few angry, hateful thoughts. Most people would rationalize it and downplay it. That's just one example of what we're talking about. But once we become a believer, right, that's when the struggle begins. Because that's when we start to dig down into God's word and realize all the things that God expects and requires of us. All the things that can hurt God's heart and make God angry. And that's when we go, oh man. And moreover, when we become Christ followers, that's when the Holy Spirit comes into our heart and that new man is planted in our heart by believing the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, that I'm a forgiven sinner, right? And that's what really motivate us, motivates us and says, and, and says to our hearts, live a thankful life, live a grateful life. Think of what God has done for you in forgiving you your sins. And, and that's when the, the struggle begins. And that's when the description of what Paul says... In Galatians chapter 5, 17 comes into play. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, Paul writes. And the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict. Would you circle that word conflict? Because that's what we're talking about here. You as a Christ follower, filled with the spirit through faith in the gospel, understanding more and more every day what God's law says as your guide, you are in a conflict internally. The spirit living in your heart and the sinful nature so that you do not do what you want. So here's the thing. One of the keys when you're going to feel exhausted with this struggle to not quitting is to simply understand that what we're going through is common experience the very first point I want everyone to understand is I am both a saint and a sinner at the same time I'm both a saint and a sinner at one and the same time just like Paul said so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin have you ever seen the the Jim Carrey movie liar liar I love that movie because it does a great job of kind of putting on display this internal struggle that goes on in our hearts. There's this scene in the movie Liar, Liar, where his son, after his son, has made a birthday wish that his dad would stop lying. In fact... When, he's asked, when, the, when the son is asked in school, what does your dad do, he says, and my apologies to the lawyers in here, he says, my dad's a liar. And he, uh, of course, it's not about him being a lawyer, it's about the fact that Jim Carrey cannot ever tell the truth in this movie. He can't tell the truth. So his son, who is missing his dad, at the birthday party, makes this birthday wish. And he says, I wish my dad would stop lying. So shortly after that, Jim Carrey's in his office and, and he's, he's getting the fact that he can no longer tell a lie. So he takes a pen and he goes, I am going to tell one lie. And it's, it's, a, it's a blue pen. So he's trying to say, this pen is... He wants to say it's red. And he does everything Everything he struggles to say that the pen is red, and pretty soon his whole hand is flying around. And he takes his hand and he puts it down and he tries and he he can't even look. He's trying with all of his strength to write red. And when he looks down, on the sheet of paper are the words royal blue. And then he just, you know, he does the typical Jim Carrey acrobatics, and he's underneath the, the the desk struggling with himself, right? And when he pops up his head from behind the desk, all over his face are the words blue. What a great picture of the struggle that we that we go through, the, the struggle between the old Adam and the new man, and how even when we want to do the best there are times in our lives when the sinful nature it's just going to grab control of us even as believers those of you who are veteran believers who have been around in the game of walking with Christ for a long time you know this don't you that as you grow in your maturity You are going to learn more and more and more about God and and what he wants you to do one one of the things and and I say this quite frequently here at Crosswalk that we want for all of you is that you be fully developed followers of Christ. And that means fully leaning on Jesus fully dependent on him putting all your hope and trust in him because that's where your strength is. And and. And it also means learning in that trust to walk more and more the way Jesus walks, right? To follow God's will and to follow God's law. And why do we do that? You know, one of the things I love about that Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, how does Jim Carrey get to be honest? I told you a moment ago. It was the son's birthday wish. We're about to celebrate the son's birthday, aren't we? And each and every one of us has been blessed by Jesus' birthday. What an amazing season of the year that this is, that we get to celebrate that God himself became a man so that in taking on our flesh, he could offer his body up for us. He could shed his blood for us. In being true God, he could walk in our flesh perfectly. And and all those things that we wish we could do but don't, And all those things that we wish we could avoid, but we keep on doing. Jesus, as true God and true man, walked every step of that perfectly. When Jesus said, the things that I want to do, he did them. And when Jesus said, the things that I don't want to do, he avoided them perfectly. Even though the Bible shares with us that he was tempted in every way, just like we are. Yet, it goes on to say, he was without sin. And now it is the son's birthday wish, right? That little baby lying in a manger, it's, it's his wish for you and for me because of his heart filled with love that says, I want you to be people filled with desire to walk with me, to lean fully on me, and to live a life of holiness. And that all starts by simply going, I know I fail, Lord, but I look to you. Will you give me all that righteousness that you built up? Can I... Can I have that too as a gift? Will you take all my sins that I've committed, all the things that I didn't want to do but went ahead and did anyway, will you take all those and put them on your shoulders? And you know that's exactly what Jesus did for you. It's an amazing story. And it's his birthday wish that more and more and more we learn to walk in holiness as he walked in holiness what an amazing birthday wish there is. Now understand this, that there is this amazing chemistry that goes on. As you struggle to, um, to walk in the will of God, you're going to be studying God's law. Because you're going to be saying, I want to learn how it is that God wants me to walk. And I want to talk about this chemistry that can go on. Because this is another point that we, that we have to be real on motivated by this love that Jesus has for us, you as a Christ follower are going to be saying, okay, how do I get it done now? But Paul says something pretty interesting in these verses, and in, even in the verses that precede what we're studying. I want you to open back up to Romans chapter 7. And I'm going I'm to read from chapter 6. I put one of these verses In here, chapter 6. Okay. If we have been united, this is starting at verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Means when we were baptized. That just as Jesus rose from the grave, we rise to a new life. You can study that in the context. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And he goes on to say things like, "So don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life." But then look at this passage that I put in your crosswalk notes. "But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire for apart from the law Sin is dead. By the way, that should say Romans 7, 8. You know what he's saying? He's saying even though you have been crucified with Christ, when you start to try to follow God's law, there's this amazing interaction that goes on between the law and your sinful nature. Uh, The best thing I can compare it to is, is uh, ammonium nitrate. It's kind of a chemical reaction. You know that ammonium nitrate is often used in fertilizers. And if you spread it out on your grass, what's going to happen to your grass? It's going to turn beautiful, lush, and green. It's a great fertilizer. But you put it with the right chemicals, you know what's going to happen with the ammonium nitrate? Soldiers interact, no. And take simple fertilizer, put it together with the right chemical compounds, and it becomes what's known as an IED, an improvised explosive device. Simple fertilizer, used for good, used to fertilize plants, but combine it with the right thing, and it becomes a roadside bomb. That's what Paul is saying in this verse, Romans 7, 8. The law is good, he says. But the chemical reaction between the law and your sinful nature is going to produce this this ugly thing that you're going to rebel against God's law. And in fact, because you have a sinful nature, something really weird is going to happen. The more that you hear God's law, the more you're going to find yourself wanting to rebel against it. Isn't that strange? That is your sinful nature will want to rebel against it. And that's why there's this constant, tiring struggle going on. Because this law, which God intends as a good thing for you, now becomes something that incites this explosive behavior in you to rebel against God and reject God, just as it says there in Romans chapter 7, verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire for apart from loss, sin is dead. It's like the false teachers that Peter talks about in his letter. He says, watch out for false teachers because they're going to promise you good things. But in the end, what they want is your destruction. Inside of each one of us in that sinful nature is an internal false teacher that wants to take something good, God's law, and turn it into something destructive in your life. Look what it says in Second Peter two nineteen. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Here's my point. We all have this inner sinner, the sinful nature. And we have to be very careful because we have to understand that in this wrestling match, if we're not very, very careful, that inner center can flip us on our back and be right on top of us and be close to pinning us. We have to be very careful that we get up every morning and we say, I'm going to fight that guy. And that's what's so tiring sometimes about the Christian life. It's what's so exhausting about it is every morning, you and I, we are engaged in this amazing struggle. But it is a struggle worth fighting. I, I, I said before that I would, I would talk a little bit about Winston Churchill. Think about Winston Churchill, right? The Nazis were coming. And, and they didn't have any choice about it. Would Winston Churchill have ever gotten up and said, you know, it's not a struggle. England is not a struggle worth fighting anymore. I'm sure there were times when he felt exhausted, where he looked at the casualties and he almost lost hope. Right? But do you know that during some of the darkest days of World War II, out of that came some of his most determined words? And that's what God wants from us. Out of our darkest days in this battle, in this struggle, in this wrestling match, God wants to give you his spirit so that you stay determined to keep fighting no matter what. Losing, and we have to remember this, losing to sin and Satan and the sinful world around us is just not an option. The cost is too dear. So be determined to fight. And that's our our second point. Your inner sinner, though not really you, your your true self is your new man. He can gain control of you. Listen to what uh, Winston Churchill said in those dark days. I love this quote. Even though large tracts of Europe and famous countries have fallen in Europe, Or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the apparatus of Nazi rule. We shall not flag or fail, Churchill said. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We will fight on the beaches we will fight on the landing grounds. We will fight in the fields and in the streets. We will fight in the hills. We will never surrender. Now that's a man who was determined. And that's the kind of determination that God wants all of us to have in the fight against sin. So here's our final point. How do we get that kind of determination? What is that where does that come from? How do we get that kind of fight to say, I'm not going to surrender no matter what the cost. It's, it's too important. Well, take a look at what it says in Galatians 2.20. I'll put this one in your crosswalk notes. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul saying there? Let's break it down. I've been crucified with Christ. When I was baptized, I died with Christ. It's as if the punishment That Christ took on himself is my punishment. I'm dead to that old way of life, Paul says. I no longer live. And here's where the determination to keep fighting comes from. I no longer live, but someone lives in me. Christ lives in me. I have his determination. I have his courage. I have his fight living in me. The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Whenever I want to forget where my true strength is, where whenever I want to give up the fight and be discouraged and just stop running the race, Paul says, what do I do? I look back to Jesus. In fact, I remember that Jesus lives right here inside of me. It's kind of uh, kind of interesting. I was uh, reading about a, a long-distance runner. And uh, this guy did a, kind of an interesting thing when he knew at the very end of a long race that he was going to struggle with motivation. Every mile, he would dedicate it to someone that he knew loved him. And so he would get, maybe on a marathon race, he'd get through about the first 20 miles. And then he'd realize at about 20 miles, I'm going to just slam into a wall. And so he picked six people for those last six miles. And he dedicated each one of those last six miles to One person after another who he knew loved and supported him and were there for him no matter what. So he'd go into mile 21 and go, he'd just be thinking about that person so that he, he wouldn't give up. And then you go into mile 22, and you think about the next person. You see, that's what Paul is saying here, right? Only it's not a person that he's thinking about. He's thinking about Jesus, the one who went to the cross for him, the one who came as that little baby in a manger, and he's going, that's where my strength is to keep on going, his love for me. The fact that he literally comes to live inside of me. He's my strength. There's a, an important crosswalk value. I, I put it in your crosswalk notes. It's the very last crosswalk value. Those of you that have been to 101 class have heard this. It's the final one, and in some ways, I think it's the most important one. Hope. Persevere always. Never give up. That's the value. You know where all that leads? leads to this thought I believe the struggle makes me stronger yes there's times when the struggle is tiring when you want to give up when you want to say I'm not going to church anymore I'm, I'm done with that better to sleep in on a Sunday morning no more growth groups for me Ugh! can't be around those Christ following people anymore All kinds of thoughts like that run through your head. And when you want to give up, when you get tired and beat down, remember Christ in those last miles of the race and keep putting Him in front of your eyes, what He did for you, His love for you, His sacrifice for you. Our third point is very simple. Victory is mine through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Look at Romans eight thirty-two. You see, you really can't lose. The crown is already yours. He who did not spare his own son, it says, This is Paul in the very next chapter, but gave him him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 7, going, wow, this is a struggle. But read on to Romans chapter 8, and he's like, the victory is ours. I don't know if you ever get a chance to watch something like uh, the Hawaii Iron Man. It's kind of on right now on ESPN. Happened to see it a few days ago. They were playing it. And one of the most amazing pictures as you watch that hour-long show is the picture of people crossing the finish line. Watch them. Some of them cross the finish line like this with their arms held high. They look like they're strong. Some Some of them get across the finish line and collapse into someone's arms and they just bawl. Some of them, and you've seen pictures of these people, are coming up to the finish line like this. Right? I mean, their bodies totally spent from 26 miles of running a marathon. There's amazing joy on every face, no matter how they feel physically, mentally, emotionally, when they cross that finish line. And it is a picture to behold. When I was watching that the other day, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if that's going to be the look on my face when I cross the line into heaven. I wonder if that's going to be the look on my friends' faces when they cross the line into heaven. It's been a marathon a race, a struggle, a fight every day against our own selves at times, as Paul says. But boy, it was all worth it. And the joy that I now get to experience for eternity. Well, that's amazing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, that little baby Jesus in a manger for me. What a gift to know that eternal salvation is mine. That crown of life, that victory is mine as a free gift through him. Lord God, heavenly Father, help me to never be shaken in my confidence and to lean fully on Jesus for forgiveness and grace and for eternal life. Lord God, Heavenly Father, at the same time, I recognize quite honestly that every day following you, that struggle between the new man in me and the old Adam in me is going to threaten me, make me tired and exhausted, and there are going to be times when I want to give up, Lord. And at those times, turn my eyes to you. Turn my eyes to that little baby in the manger, to your son Jesus and all that he did in his love for me. Help me find my strength in him, my endurance in him. And help me to remember most of all that at that finish line, there is great joy waiting. Strengthen me for the struggle, Lord. And let me truly believe that in the struggle, there is strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.